I'm really excited about the things we've been talking about here at church over the past few weeks. We're doing a message series called, You've Gotta Be Kidding. And what we've been doing is we're looking at key statements that Jesus made when he was here walking on earth, and he would say things that would catch people by surprise, maybe like make their heart stop beating for a moment because of how intense, you know, he would just say things that seemed so bold and audacious. Uh, He would say things that were really troubling and confusing. Uh, Many times Jesus was calling people to living at a level far beyond what they could ever have imagined. And so in this series, as we look at some of his shocking statements, you might feel a little uncomfortable at times. And maybe throughout this series, you found yourself listening to the, the Bible. And then you say, like, Jesus, you've got to be kidding. Like, that, that can't be. Or maybe you've seen the value in guiding your entire life by his words. For each message, we've been drawing from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew records real historical interactions that Jesus had with people. And so Matthew is one of the disciples that was there listening, writing down, recording some of these life-altering dialogues. And in the series so far, today's actually, we're, we're, we're finishing this series today, actually. But over the past few weeks, some of the statements that we've studied are these. Uh, Jesus said to leave everything. He said, use what I gave you. This is the parable of the talents. Act on my words. Get behind me, Satan. We looked at that last week. And then today, a statement he makes, forgive your brother. And throughout this series, there's, there's been some pretty powerful things happening. Over the past month, I've gotten a chance to talk with some of our church members here. And uh, some people have told me about some big shifts happening inside them as a result of looking at some of these messages. I think it's because the words of Jesus have been penetrating hearts deeply. And his words tend to be really, really hard, but really, really good. There's really good things. In in fact, so so when people have been sharing, like as they've been reflecting on what Jesus has said, there's new, refreshing life just been flowing and bubbling up out of people in our church. And so I've actually been really uh, pleasantly surprised and excited to see the way that God has been um, just speaking to some of you. So today, the message is about the F word, forgiveness. <laughs> you know, the F word, forgiveness, is, so it's not, it's, not a, this is not a cuss word, but you know, sometimes the word forgiveness might cause a reaction similar to a swear word because, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard when you, when, you, when you really get down to it. Things, it like, parts of life that require forgiveness are probably some of the grittiest, most emotionally charged parts of your life. And forgiveness is an enormous concept in Scripture. It's, it's actually, it's, it's, a, it's a central concept in Christianity. And it's one of the most beautiful concepts that we read about in the Bible. So there's, I think, when it comes to forgiveness, I think there's maybe three basic types of people. This is not from any academic study. This is my own personal reflection. But I think there's three basic types of people. Uh, people who have fully forgiven others. There's people, the second group is people who are unforgiving towards others. And then I think the third group is people who mistakenly think they have fully forgiven everybody. And which one are you? I'm guessing, I'm probably here today, we, we've probably got people in all three categories. Totally forgiven, 
holding some unforgiveness and then unaware about some unforgiveness. And this happened to me actually. At one point, I was holding on some, some bitterness and Erin pointed it out to me, my wife, and uh, she said, you're, you're still bitter. And I said, no, I'm not. Like, I've totally forgiven. And it's, it's a situation where like, imagine if I had some like nasty green thing in my teeth and she's like, hey, you have something in your teeth. I'm like, no, I don't. And it's like, I could just sit, just me saying, no, I don't, doesn't actually change the fact that there's something there still. And uh, it wasn't until I looked in the mirror, which in this case was the Bible. The Bible reflected to me. I had really, I actually read some passages in Colossians that revealed to me, oh yeah, there is. I, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and I, and she was right. So I realized, man, this, this, for, this forgiveness thing is kind of sneaky. Um, unforgiveness is a thing that's generally felt by the people standing around you. You know, it just, if, if, if there's unforgiveness or bitterness, it just sort of seeps out. And sometimes in little ways, it might be like little comments, little like attitudes, and you're like, oh, you got, you're, you're, you're working through something. I, I can tell you, it just, it just kind of seeps out. And so Jesus tells a shocking story on this topic. And uh, it's later on in his ministry. We're in Matthew chapter 18. And he, he, there was something really, really important about forgiveness he wanted his disciples to know about. And it says, uh, we're starting verse 21. It says, then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times. And this is a good question. Peter, uh, Peter knew human nature and he knew how many times people needed forgiveness. Often for the same offense. You know, sometimes people do the same thing over and over again. And so he's like, how many times? And, you know, Peter understood the human tendency to commit a sin, be forgiven, and then before long, commit the same sin again, or some other thing that's equally as bad. So the question he's asking really is, does forgiveness have a limit? At, at what point do you just, you know, say I've, I've forgiven enough and I can move on? And, you know, granted, a person who commits an offense and repents, he's like, yeah, a person should be, should be forgiven a few times. Um, and actually, there was some teaching by Jewish leaders around that time that w had said that three times, you should forgive somebody three times, but after that, the fourth time, you don't need to forgive anymore. So if three was kind of the going rate, when Peter says, should we forgive them seven, he's probably like, this is actually pretty like magnanimous you know, suggestion that we do seven, like seven would be kind of a lot, right? And then of course, as usual, Jesus <laughs> surprises and he says, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. That's a big number. What number is that? 490. Oh, there we go, mathematician. He's gonna be a lawyer one day, so. <laughs> um, that's, so it, it, he could have just said 490, but what he was doing is he just, he's like took the number Peter used and then he just shot it through the moon. Like it's just, this, it's a big number. It's not even about literally 490 times. It's just a number so big that you'd, you'd lose track if you kept, it, it's not even about keeping track. And uh, he goes on and he, he brings this, he brings in a story. So, you know, that was like a, maybe kind of a startling thing to respond. And so he, he fleshes this out a little bit more. Verse 23 says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. That phrase, settle accounts, we've, we've looked at that once already in this series earlier, a few weeks ago, and it's a reference to, Jesus is helping us remember, at some point, we will all stand before God. 
whether you like it or not, or whether you believe there's a God or not, we, every human being will just stand bare before God, and he will settle accounts with us. And the following story shows us some of the conversations that might happen on that day, that like some of us here might have with God. So, it's, you know, like pay attention. This, this could be us. could be somebody here. Uh, and so in verse 24, he says, when, when he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. Here's a guy, a servant, who owes 10,000 talents, and lots of commentators have tried to you know, extrapolate, well, like, what's the, the current day monetary value? It's a lot of money, and it's... Uh, I think Jesus is really, he's using an incalculable amount of money. Like, an, it's, it's an unpayable debt. So, I, I, you know, I, I, you could say maybe a million dollars. Maybe he owed him a million dollars. And then I thought, well, most of the homes in Santa Clarita are about a million dollars. And then people eventually figure out how to pay that off. The number he's using is more because it, this is not a repayable amount of money. This is, this is, this is through the moon, uh, over the top. So that unpayable debt, by the way, in this story represents the debt for sin that every one of us owes God. We're in this, we have this unpayable debt. And so he goes on. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. I don't know if anyone's ever told you be patient with me. Like if, if maybe, Maybe someone has offended you in some way or like held back on something that they owed you and they're like, ah, be patient with me. Like, hey, give me more time. Give me, give me another chance. Just cut me some slack. This is like a plea for slack. And sometimes this happens and we don't want to. We don't want to, we don't want to cut anybody slack. Um, and even, even the servant in this story, he says, I'll, I'll pay you back everything. Like that's totally unrealistic. Of course he can't even pay him back. Uh, he could not even make good on the promise. And yet God still had compassion says, that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. All right, here's a different amount of money, hundred denarii. This is about a hundred days wages. I don't know what you make in a day. Let's just say over three months, the course of three months, like what's your gross income for you or your family over three months? That's approximately the value. Um, so that amount is minute in comparison to the debt that he owed the master. But it's not, a, it's not an insignificant amount. You know, what this lower servant owed the higher servant, uh, it, was, it was a problem that this much of money was on the line. It, it does represent, there's a costly offense here. So the servant says, pay what you owe. He just demands it. It's a demand for retribution. And we feel this way towards people. In our hearts, sometimes we demand repayment, like that we're adequately compensated for what we're out, what we're lost. It's, it's, here's the idea that's coming across from the servant. You wronged me, you owe me. And these are words that sometimes we say out loud and sometimes we say it in our hearts, but this, this um, just vindictive, vengeful attitude comes out like, you owe me. And the servant in the story, you know, is, cho is choking him, actually, when he's doing this. But he, he, there's just a demand that it's made right. 
And, and maybe you felt that way. Maybe you've had a similar urge, maybe not to choke somebody exactly, but you have this surge of emotion and anger and injustice inside your heart. I think the way that Jesus is telling this story is, I don't think he's referring to just small grievances, like little things that people do, like cut you off or things that make you mad in a moment. But like this is, he's talking, I think he has in mind just massive, horrible ways that people sin against us. That, w- that would cause such a reaction like this. And also, again, keep in mind, he's talking about recurring offenses. At the start of this story, it's this, how many times must I forgive? So imagine costly, horrible offenses that keep happening. And that's the kind of emotion that's being had here. Verse 29, what happens? So you can see in the story so far, one guy got um, mercy. He should not have gotten mercy. And then he doesn't, he doesn't turn around and give mercy to somebody who owed him. It says, at this, the fellow servant fell down and began begging with him, be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. It's the same phrase. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. Then the other servants saw what had taken place. They were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. When you read this story, it feels, it feels like there's this like, sense of justice. Like, okay, this guy who is so unmerciful, he gets thrown into prison. I think what's interesting about some of this injury uh, imagery is this: there's prison and torture is the result for this guy. And I think partly there's an eternal component that Jesus is referencing where you go the wrong way and you displease God. And when he settles accounts with you, if, you, if you're not in the right standing, then there will be eternal punishment. But I think even before we die before we get to that point where we settle accounts, there is a kind of prison and torture that comes from unforgiveness. There's, there's a way that unforgiveness just, it starts, it's like a chain that wraps around us and it starts cinching down. The more that we live with it and the more that the offense comes, it becomes a prison. And the person probably who's most affected by the offense is the person that won't let go of, of, the, of the bitterness and the anger. And so this imagery, I think it's fascinating. Jesus refers to this, like this prison and torture because that's what it's like. It's like you live with this torture created by chains of unforgiveness. And so the last statement is the most shocking one. Um, Jesus ends the story by saying, So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. So the implications of this are unforgiving people will not be forgiven. This is the part where you're like, you got to be kidding me. Are you serious? Like, doesn't kind of everybody like have grudges and like hold offenses against people? Like, and also, you don't know what they did to me. Like, you don't know what he did or she did to me. Like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I have to, in order for me to be forgiven by God, I have to totally forgive that other person? This is, like, is there, like, a line? Like, this invisible barrier that I can't cross? This is, this is, this is a very hard, intense statement from Jesus. Also, this story, if, I don't know if you caught it, but uh, he's, he's referring to brothers or sisters, meaning fellow believers and Christians. 
There's a lot of teaching in the Bible and also from Jesus related to forgiveness and that really we are to forgive everyone. But this story is specifically as it relates to other fellow believers in the faith. The, the stakes are even higher. Like the, the obligation for us to be completely um, free in our forgiveness to, to other Christians is, is essential. And so when you look at this statement, and if you, if you just wrestle with this for a second, unforgiving people will not be forgiven it might unsettle you a little bit because then you wonder like am i okay i actually am i do i do struggle with unforgiveness what should i do there's a difference between struggling to forgive and then just being settled in in unforgiveness if 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 a person just settled in you know, if, if the forgiveness that is available to us that came at the cost of the blood of Jesus is so ineffective in our hearts that we're bent on holding on to grudges and bitterness, we're not saved. If, if we do not embrace and treasure the incredible forgiveness of God, if we've never felt the piercing joy and wonder and sweetness that God paid the life of his son for my own despicable sins, how could we be truly saved? How in the world could I remain offended when God has been so much more immeasurably offended by me and my sin? He was willing to pay the life of his son to secure my forgiveness and eternal life. So you might be, you might be struggling to forgive. Like, you're in, you're in the fight. You're in process. And maybe it feels like you're not really winning, but you're, you're struggling. Struggling to forgive is not the thing that destroys us eternally. As long as we live life on earth, in the flesh, we will live it imperfectly, and Jesus died to cover those imperfections. What destroys a person is the settled position that we're not going to forgive. I have no intention to forgive, and I cherish the grudge, and I even just fondle the memory of the wrongs done to me, and I feel the bitterness, and when you think about the bitterness, it feels good, and the wrath that I feel inside feels justified because of the way that I was treated. True believers aggressively make war on that attitude. That, that gravitational pull to stay offended and to remember the grudge, we make war on that. So ask yourself today, have you settled in with grudges and bitterness? Are you okay with feeling that way and just letting that lie dormant? You know, our culture, the, the culture that we live in these days is bound up in bitterness and resentment and wallowing in wounds. You don't have to go very far just to see people that are just twisted up and just like cut relationships off. And I'm, I could never forgive that person. It's just, that's, a, that's the air that most people breathe. And so maybe you're here and you, you'd admit, you know what, I, I, do, I do have some bitterness. But that is not who I want to be. It's got a grip on me and I need to fight it. And when I, whenever I remember the offense, or there's like new things that get piled on top, it messes me up. It throws me for a loop, and I, I just have such a hard time like settling down my mind. And, but that, that's not the life that I want. I don't want to be that way. I want, to, I want to get out of that way. Remember that opening line in Jesus' story, the point when the king was ready to settle accounts. What happens if you find yourself standing before the king and he's ready to settle accounts with you? And his eyes will penetrate our hearts. And just in a second, he'll have searched every corner of our hearts. 
And it's interesting, too, this, in this story, the servant was, was completely unaware. You know, that servant who owed that unpayable debt was just walking along doing life until he was dragged in in front of the master, and then he realized, oh, this is way more serious than I realized. But it was, at that point, actually, it was, it was almost too late. The Lord had compassion. There was time. There was time for him to develop forgiveness, but he didn't. So, are you, are you fighting unforgiveness? Are you actively, aggressively making war on the bitterness you feel, if, if there's any? Another question that may come to mind is, so if there's this possibility that maybe, maybe, maybe there's some unforgiveness in my heart and I don't realize it, maybe, I have, maybe I've, I've started the journey, but I don't know if I've totally forgiven. How do you know whether or not you have totally, completely forgiven a person? Um, well, here's one way that you would know is I reject the memories that pop up rather than savor the wound. So what tends to happen is we get offended and you think about it again. Some, either you choose to think about it or it just comes up in the mind and then you just, it's like, it's like a little pet grudge and you just you know, caress it and you think about it like, ooh, like, oh, that just that burned me, but I'm just going to stew on it for a second while I'm driving. And then you go on with your day, you just put that pet grudge in the closet and... Then something else happens later on, and you just you bring it out again. You're like, oh man, I'm still like chapped by that. Like it's still, and you just you, you pet it. Although this time the grudge is a little bit bigger, and a little bit hairier. And so then you, you go down, and then you just you keep thinking, and then all of a sudden this thing is bigger, and this this thing has a, a way of um, seeping poison into us and growing all at the same time. And so what we need to do with those pet grudges is open the closet door and blow its brains out, and just kill it right on the spot. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's 100% unacceptable for us to ever savor and cherish and just mull over those things, those offenses. So there's a point where if you have decided to forgive, you make a decision like, Lord, I forgive her for what she did. I forgive him for what he did. I will not make them pay. I turn it over to you. Would you bless them? And there's a, there's, that's good, but you may have to do that again. And it may, the memory comes up again, and there's this recurring, just emotional turning back over to the Lord every time. So that's how you know, if you're, if you're on the journey of total forgiveness, that you reject the memories, turn it over to the Lord every time. The other thing you'll know is, I willingly pray for God's blessing on them. If you, have, if you can genuinely in your heart say, Lord, that person who did me wrong, it's just unthinkable. But would you bless them? Would you bring good into their life? Would you lead them to their own freedom? their own eternal life. That's a good sign, if you can get there. Another evidence that you've totally forgiven is, I accept the wrongs done as a gift from God. This may feel a hundred miles away to ever think that the wrong done to me is a gift from God. One of the most powerful stories of forgiveness in the Bible is the story of Joseph and what his brothers did to him at the end of his life, or towards the end of his story, in Genesis 50, 20, he says, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. There was evil, horrible evil done to him, and he said at the end of it, he could see God meant it for good. And God used him in a very powerful way to save hundreds of thousands of people through Joseph and through that story of pain. The things that God has us walk through truly can be a gift if we see it that way. The other thing that makes the pain a gift is Jesus, of course, was treated horribly in ways that he should not have been. And anytime we get 
um, offended and, and treated bad, and we wrestle through it and we trust God with it, it makes us more like him. It, it just continually, the more we turn over unforgiveness and forgive, it makes us more like our Savior, which is one of our big objectives for anybody that follows Christ. So it's really, it's, all, it's like super confusing to even see it this way, but the offense is like, Lord Jesus, you allowed this to happen so that I can be more like you. And that's of greater weight. That's of so much more value than if I had gone through painless. Another way that you know you've totally forgiven is you say, I, I will no longer retaliate or punish or hold it against them. And there's different ways that we want to do this. Sometimes we actively in, you know, insult and we'll say things out loud. Or sometimes we just distance and we just don't want to be around them. And I'm not going to talk to them. Or there's just different ways that we punish people. And we just, um, you know, like I said, it just kind of seeps out. It's there, you know, it's going to be felt. And forgiveness, what it means, the, the word forgiveness is, if, if you were to sum it up, it says, you are no longer guilty. You offended me, but you're not guilty anymore. I don't, I don't hold it against you. And when we wrestle with this, it's just like, man, but what they did was so wrong. In Romans 12, it says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. So when you feel like you want to repay them, in active ways or just the quiet, subtle ways, just leave it. Leave the repayment to the wrath of God. Justice will always be done. You don't, you don't have to do it. We don't have to make justice happen. God will do it. And so what he wants us to do is to return good for evil in the meantime, because our hope is in future vindication. At the last day, every wrong thing that has ever been done to you will be made right. God will right all the wrongs. There's such a strong urge for us to right the wrongs ourselves right now, to like make, you know, like, you, you know, you owe me to make the vindication happen, the retribution come now. But that's not our job. We wait for God to vindicate us. And while we wait, we proactively do good and we bless people instead. One last way you know if you've totally forgiven is I have mastered the emotions and I'm not enslaved by them. For any emotion you feel, by the way, this goes for anything. Anxiety, depression, rage, um, fear, there, there's emotions that we feel that master us, and maybe, you, maybe you're familiar with this. Maybe you, you're in situations where you're mastered, and you know you're, you're sort of out of control in the moment because this emotion is so strong, and it just spins you, maybe for uh, half an hour, maybe for days at a time. It, they, emotions master us, but we have been commanded not to be enslaved by anything. None of those emotions may we, are we permitted to be mastered by, and so we have to somehow break out of that enslavement and master those things. And you'll, you'll know, and you can know, you know that if you feel that. And there, I'm, not, I'm actually not going to explain how to, we actually did a whole series on emotions, how to, how to master emotions. But the, the main thing is you'll know if you've totally forgiven, if you're, not, if you're not yanked around all the time. Like these emotions are not controlling me. They come and they're strong, but I, I master those emotions myself. So that's how you know. So those are, those are maybe five, five of what, some of the ways that you'll know if you've totally forgiven and as I was looking through this concept, I thought another question that comes up a lot on this topic of forgiveness is, how do I forgive myself? So on a, on a uh, 
topic, you know, sometimes people go from forgiving others and their mind quickly goes to this, oh, like, forgive myself. And something, for some people, there's a link right there. But I'm sort of perplexed about the link. There's this, there's this modern concept of self-forgiveness. And um, I have never once in my own life forgiven myself of any of, in, the, in my way of dealing with con- self-condemnation and my own sin, I've never once forgiven myself. I don't see that concept appear anywhere in the Bible. You can't find a reference to self-forgiveness. Um, the Bible doesn't think in those categories. And uh, it's, so it's sort of a confusing concept. There are some people that use that phrase, and I think they do have, um, it's generated by a biblical perspective, and then they use that phrase, and it can be okay. But sometimes people use the phrase, and it's confusing. It sort of muddies the waters about what forgiveness actually is. So anyone that feels, when they say, like, hey, I need, I need to forgive myself, they're dealing with a real feeling. There's a real thing that is going on, and I, it's like I feel bad about what I've done. And I don't know how to stop feeling bad about it. And there's one verse that kind of helps us unmuddy the waters a little bit. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. So there's two roads here. So if a person is, is saying, like, hey, I, I have sinned. I've done really bad things. I feel really awful about it. And I don't know how to make it right. Like, I just I can, can't go back and fix it. And I, I feel just these feelings of grief or sorrow or guilt. And this verse is saying there's two paths. On one path, I just keep feeling awful. I never manage to stop feeling awful about it. And ultimately, that leads to death. And there's no change in my heart. The other path leads to repenting of my sin before God and being totally freed from any feeling of guilt. The guilt is removed from my life, totally. So whenever I'm feeling bad and I'm beating myself up and I'm just wallowing in discouragement, and I think, if I think, I need to forgive myself for what I've done. In reality, whenever, whenever I think that, that means I'm setting myself up as a judge and pronouncing judgment and condemnation on myself. So like I sinned, I'm awful, I'm judging myself. What I would need to do in that situation is humble myself and say, I have no right to take the role of judge of myself. That's God's job. And in reality, I'm actually being prideful, saying that God's forgiveness is not good enough. Um, what he said about forgiving me and cleansing me doesn't apply to me. It's, it's, really, it's really an arrogant failure to trust in the free verdict of God, which when he says there's no condemnation. So when I've, when I've confessed my awful sin to God, he promises to... Uh, forgive and totally cleanse me of that. First John 1, 9. Total cleansing. So for a person, if you're here and, you're, and you feel like you need to forgive yourself, in reality, what we need to do is we need to step down from the prideful position of self-judge and let God be God and let God's pronouncement stand when he says, you're not guilty. No condemnation. And we trust God at his word and then we walk in freedom. So self-forgiveness, it can be a concept that's, it can be helpful or harmful depending on how a person is using or interpreting it and what kind of biblical perspective they have supporting it. Um, but really, self-forgiveness is not about forgiveness. It's, it's about pride. It's, it has way more to do with confession and repentance and faith in God's word. So that was actually a small detour. That was an intentional detour um, to maybe unmuddy the waters sometimes that comes up with this concept of, of what forgiveness even is. 
Um, but I think it's important because sometimes people get stuck. I think I've seen people use this concept of self-forgiveness, and I think the enemy is using it to keep people stuck in guilt, where there's this like perpetual state of feeling bad, and there's this subtle, constant message of condemnation. Like you try to do something good for God, and the thought comes, yeah, but don't forget about what you've done, you little sinner. And, you, and you're like, oh, gosh, I just, oh, I feel so bad. Like, and then, you know, some Christian you are. And so I've seen people try to walk down the path of self-forgiveness, but never actually reach the destination. It just sort of eludes them. So hopefully that was helpful. If that just totally confused you, we can talk more about it. But when it comes to the main topic of forgiveness that we looked at here from Matthew chapter 18, I have a few next steps I might suggest to you. Maybe if it resonated with you, maybe you think there's something in your heart that you're still holding on to, Maybe your next step is to get honest about those hidden places where subtle resentment remains. Sometimes it's really hard to take a look in the mirror and be honest and say, like, you know what? I am still holding on to some things here. And get honest about it and just get specific about what it is. If this is a, and I know, by the way, this, in talking about this topic, I may have tread on some very tender ground for some people today. This is, this is a really, this is a really, this gets very personal very quick. And if you're needing uh, a more strong, fortified ability of help to really start combating and walking, like just break, so if it's, if it's chains, by the way, if it's unforgiveness and bitterness and you're chained up and you feel it and you know it and you don't know how to get out of it, one thing I'd recommend is to read the book Total Forgiveness by R.T. Kendall. This is a, this is a life-changing book, and it's, it's um, he just pulls scripture out and helps it to really get clear on what God expects of us and um, how, how, to, how to break out of it, how to get freedom. And so a lot of people have found freedom through this book. Um, and then another next step is just the very practical thing of to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is, is something as simple to understand as a phrase. Forgive as God has forgiven you. But it's as complex to potentially take years and years to work through. Forgiveness is really the key to spiritual unity in the church because it is the key to all meaningful relationships, any meaningful relationship in your life got that way probably because there's been forgiveness involved. We offend each other. We step on each other's toes, and the people closest to you, you probably offend the most. Only forgiveness can break down the barriers that sin just continually and inevitably puts up between people, including God's people, as it says here, for brother, between brothers and sisters in Christ. The sin just keeps putting up, and the enemy just keeps putting up divisions and barriers and distance, and you want to sidestep things and walk around people, and we got to just keep tearing it down. Christians are at their best when they're forgiving. You will be at your best when you are forgiving. So be free. If you've got something, become unchained. Become light-hearted and hope-filled and soft. Like it says here, tender-hearted. Just like in relationship in a loving, compassionate way. Wouldn't that be lovely just to feel that lightness that comes from being free? Because we Christians have been forgiven so much by God, we, of all people, 
should be the most forgiving of others, especially of fellow believers. And we're most like Jesus when we forgive each other. Paul declared with the same truth to the Colossians, telling them to bear with one another and forgive one another, just as the Lord forgave you. That brings our series on You've Got to Be Kidding Me to a close. And so the past five weeks, we've looked at really hard, challenging things that Jesus has said. And if you've missed any of them, I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen through. Next Sunday, I'd love to invite you back. We're starting a new series that I think is going to help us generate a lot of momentum towards Easter. Easter is about a month away, and I'm really, really excited. We're going to actually do some fun, special things in service next week when we're outside. Um, you don't want to miss it. And then if you come for the membership class later today, uh, which will be at, um, at our house, and just, just so you know, when you come, you're not automatically committing as a member on the spot. You come to learn what members commit to. You get a full understanding of what the commitment actually looks like, and then you can decide um, about taking the next steps after that. I hope this was helpful to you today. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for paying the unpayable debt on our behalf. And God, that you have forgiven us. And you look at Jesus, and then you look at us and say, not guilty, no condemnation. And that's when we humble ourselves and acknowledge our sin and, and turn to you. And I thank you so much for the, the life that you make available to us. Pray that you would help us wrestle with those, those deep, hidden, dark areas of that chain us up of bitterness and unforgiveness. Help us to wrestle through that. And for anybody that's here that's sorting through what it means to, to follow wholeheartedly Jesus, make you Lord and boss of their life, I pray that you would give them the clarity and the courage to take those steps. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.